Well, good morning. You are a fine group of people looking at me back today. Smile at me real big so I can see it. Wow, all of you are smiling big today. It's good to have you here. Um, my name is Dorsey Atkinson. I'm the pastor here at Life Spring Church, which is two campuses. You're currently on the Wesley campus, and earlier this morning I spoke at our other campus, which is called the Langston Church Campus, and it's located right beside Ogeechee Tech. But I'm glad that you're here in person or online. And uh, we're in a... We're in a uh, a, a series where we're talking about some of the various parables of Jesus. And in the, talking about these parables, we, we look and we investigate into these parables and we start to see that the things that Jesus taught to the people of his day have something to do with us today. That many of the things that he taught his disciples or his followers or the generation of, of hundreds of years ago or thousands of years ago are applicable to us today that can help make our life better. Now before I start on this, I want to talk to you about some, an old TV show that I used to watch that I've seen some recently. Let, let me just sort of say this. How many of you have ever seen the old show that was called Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous? Does anybody ever remember seeing that? There was this guy, and I can't remember. Anybody remember the name of the guy that hosted that? Um, huh? Robin Leach um, hosted that. And he, he would go through, and they would interview people or rich people or people who, who were very famous or very rich, and they would take the cameras in and go behind the scenes to see their house, to see their crib, to see their, 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 their home of what they had, and wasn't they one MTV Cribs or something? Wasn't there one like that that's a more modern? Now, what was that? Was that the same type of thing where they went into people's homes and you got to see, and it was mostly rich and famous people? So again, it, it's happening, and, and you would go in and you would see basically an extravagant lifestyle that we could only dream about. That, that's what, that, that by showing this, they gave you this concept that that's what the objective is, is to be able to live like that, to have the big and the the bold things, not just to have a swimming pool, but to have a swimming pool with five waterfalls and three water slides and things like that. And, and, and not just to have a TV, but to have a movie room that was as big as this and heated seats and all. And, and the other day I was watching a video or watching a show. It, it, was, it was on RVs, uh, recreational vehicles. And these recreational vehicles were... Um, were the top of the line, if you would. And there was one of these RVs, and when I say the phrase Winnebago, it just sort of falls into a category of me. You understand what I'm saying? The big Class A type looks like a bus or somebody might have as a tour bus. That this person spent almost three quarters of a million dollars on one of these things. Inside of this thing, it had panels that slid out to create a luxurious 490 square feet do you understand what 490 square feet? It is not that much, but that's, it was, they had a certain type of marble on the floor that was heated marble. It was, it was, the whole floor was heated. They had bunks, they had uh, TVs in each bunk. It had these nice cherry sets. It had a full uh, uh, refrigerator. It had a full-size bathroom. I mean, it was beautiful. And as I watched that, I'm like, how much... It's too much. Do you understand what I'm saying? And it had this family that had this, for lack of a better word, this pimped out um, RV, and they went camping. And so they had the, the two little children, three little children, looked like they were all under the age of 10, and they went out to the campsite, and this nice 
three-quarters of a million dollars RV. They open up the sides. There's TVs on the outside of the RV. There's a kitchen on the outside. They open it up and all this. And the woman goes over there and she grills red hot dogs and hamburgers. And I'm thinking to myself, do you really think that's what they eat normally? Or was that just staged for, you could live like this too. If you, you know, just, we just want to get back to the simple ways of life of eating a red hot dog and some hamburgers and all. But, but, but my, my thoughts were, how much is too much? How much is too much? And, 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 and this, this, this thought translated into what we're speaking on this week um, about how much is too much. See, Jesus was teach, speaking to a crowd one day. And, and, and again, a crowd of people sort of just gathered around him. He's talking to them and everything. And this guy comes up and asks him a question. And let me, let, me, let me just read this question to you. It's in Luke chapter 12. It says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, my, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who, made, who appointed me judge or an arbiter between you? Now, I just want to catch up on this. Now, this guy comes up who's got an issue. Undoubtedly, he has an issue with um, an inheritance. Inheritance was left to him. Now, understanding that in a Jewish custom, or in that day and time, the inheritance went to the oldest male. Okay? Now, the, the, the women, now I'm not saying that the women wasn't part of the inheritance. Women's got a, women got a dowry. A daughter got a dowry. But the inheritance was left to the males to be divided up. And whoever the oldest male was always got a double portion and was in charge of how it was to be divided out. And this was a male this, that was a, a, a child of a marriage, not a concubine or not um, a prostitute. It, they didn't carry the same rights. It was someone that was a child, a legitimate child, if you will. And in that day and time, so a double portion, let me explain that to you real quick. If there's two of us, if Blaine and I are brothers, and there's two of us, and we're supposed to once get in a double portion, that means I don't divide it in half, I have to divide it into thirds. And then my older brother, Blaine, would get two times, two-thirds, and I would get one-third. Do you understand? And if they was three brothers, they would divide it into four, and the oldest would get two parts, and the other would get one, right? And the older brother was the one that was in charge. So when we hear this part, and it says sometimes, it says that the brother said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Must mean that this is not the older brother. Because the older brother is in charge of the money. He can divide it when he wants. So this concept here, or what we're trying to pull out of here, is what I see in here, is that this is a younger sibling of someone who has been put in control of a lot of stuff. Stuff that I think is mine, if I'm him. Blaine, you're in charge. You're my brother. Give me my money. Now, Blaine might be going, where you're only six years old, I'm not giving you half of our father's estate. I'm 30. I can, or whatever age you are, you know, but, but you understand their ages could be, very, could be varied. The point is, you don't want to give it to somebody if they're not ready for it. The other part might be, 
Blame might be, I don't trust you. I'm going to hold this to myself, or maybe I'm not going to divide it up until I die. But it all falls on that sibling, the older sibling. So, so this situation is like, Jesus, tell my brother to divide my inheritance with me. Now, why would he go to Jesus? Well, it starts off by calling him teacher. So he figures, now, now here, here's another thought about why he might go to, to Jesus, not just because of his teaching ability. Let me, let me tell you this. I had, my daughter had, a, had some car trouble the last couple of weeks. Well, she has it a lot of, often. She has, a, she has a lot of car troubles. But this particular time, her car was like driving like, well, let me just put to, to you like this. It was like, when you hold the steering wheel. You understand? You know, it, it, you're, you're steering, you're just shaking like this. And so the whole time you're driving, it's like turning the wheel like this. And people would say, it's your power steering or something like that. So I would put power steering fluid in and all like that. Now, there's a couple of people in my life that I go to when I have car issues. Two of them are in here, Mike and Mr. Thomas. This day I chose Mr. Thomas. I try to spread it out so they both don't get wore out by taking care of all our vehicles. So I went to Mr. Thomas's last Sunday after church, as a matter of fact. Thomas said, bring it by the shop and we'll go, we'll look at it. So I take it by the shop. Now I'm gonna just tell you, they, there is no quick trip to Mr. Thomas's shop because we're gonna talk about everything. So we get there, and he said, so I said, well, get in the car and drive down the, I'll drive down the road. He said, I'll go drive it. And so he gave me the keys. I sit in the passenger seat. We don't drive two and a half, three blocks. And he says, <coughs> I, think it's, I think it's your front tire. And I'm like, what? I said, you haven't even drove. You haven't even, I don't even think you got out of third gear yet. And he's like, boy, I said, I think it's your front tire. And then he turns around and starts heading back, and he's driving back, and he says, I think it's your front left tire. I'm like, my front left tire? You hadn't even drove three blocks. You turned around, and you've been talking the whole time. Boy, I told you, I think it's your front left tire. So we pull in there. I, so at this point, I just, you, wait a minute. Thomas, we all love you. <laughs> but everybody, will you win an argument with Thomas? No, no it ain't going to happen. You're not going to win an argument with him. So, so we put it up on the rack, and, he's, and he's, he's kind because he lets me learn how to do the hydraulic lift, and he shows me how to do all this. Put the car up there. He goes to the front of the tire, and he goes to the right side, and he spins it around, and he looks at it. And I'm like, yeah, right. He goes over here, and he spins the other one around, and he goes, right there it is. Look at this. I'm like, he hadn't been doing, I mean, we had, I mean, 20, 10 minutes? So he says, watch this. I don't see anything. That's right. <coughs> watch this. I said, well, there's a hump in that one. He said, and which side is it on? <laughs> the left side. <laughs> and the front or the back? <laughs> on the front. Your steel belts are separated. Now, he knew, now, what I'm saying is, <coughs> the reason I take it to one of these two guys is I consider these guys an expert in cars because of their knowledge and things like that. So when I have an issue, I think they can help me figure it out. Does that make sense? I sometimes think they can help me figure it out economically, and sometimes that's true and sometimes that's not. But here's my point. This guy probably came to Jesus thinking he was some type of somebody that would know how to solve this problem. He was a leader, or he calls him a teacher. So he's probably thinking, well, he teaches on the law. He teaches on, he understands the Jewish law of how you're supposed to divide an inheritance. And my brother's taking advantage of me. 
Now, Jesus' response is, who made me the judge or an arbiter? And, and, and who, who picked me to do this for you? Now, let me explain. Jesus gives two things, a judge or an arbiter. Okay. Now, a judge, <coughs> having a judgment or a litigation versus arbitration is two different things. A judge is going to, first of all, if you have a litigation or you have a judge involved, it is a public thing. Dirty laundry will get aired, okay? If it's an arbitration or something with an arbiter, he will come in and it will, or he or she, and they will do it like between parties. So the judge is going to judge off what information you get. It's very costly. It's very public. But an arbiter involved is an arbitration. It, they'll still cost some. However, because of arbitration, he's trying to help you work it out. You understand? So Jesus is seeing this guy coming to him like, how about you judging between us? Or how about you getting in between us and helping us work it out? And Jesus is like, who picked me for that? Who, who, who picked me for that? But what Jesus sees even though he doesn't consider himself the judge in this case or the arbiter in this case, what he sees is there's a problem here. And since I'm going to address this problem, let me address it for everybody. So listen to what it says he, he says next. It says, um, let me see here. Yep. I'm trying to find where I read this. Verse 15. So that was first. He said, verse 15 says, then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Now, I'm going to hold this up on the screen for just a minute. Now, who came to him with the problem? Huh? Younger brother, Younger brother we think. It says, it says a certain, it says someone in the crowd came to him. Now, and said, tell my brother, well, we know it's not a female. Would you agree with that? Because they would have got a dowry. They wouldn't have got an inheritance. So it must be a male. We assume that something like this. But it's one person came to him with the problem, right? And said, settle this between me and my brother. Right? But who's he speak to? Then he said to who? Them. So who's he speaking to? To the brother or to? He's talking to everybody. So he's taking this illustration, he's taking an example from real life of this brother issue that's having, but sees something in there and says, let's talk about this amongst us all. So he said to them, watch out. Watch out. Be on your guard. This is sounding pretty serious. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. What? What's this got to do with all that? What's this got to do with an inheritance? He says all kinds of greed, which means there must be more than one type of greed. Means there could be maybe two, three, four, five, but there's at least more than one type of greed. And maybe you're guarding against one type of greed, but you better watch out because there's all kinds of greed that's out there. And you need to be on your guard against this. And then he says, because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. All I want you to do is work out this problem with me and my brother. I just want you to help me divide this out between me and my brother. And he's like, no, there's a bigger issue here. There's a bigger issue that may exist between you and your brother, and there also may be a bigger issue that exists in all of us as human beings. 
is this part of enough is never enough. When we ask the question, how much is enough, it's not about what's enough, it just doesn't matter what we have, it's never going to be enough. Here, one brother isn't dividing the inheritance, maybe because he wants it. This brother is wanting what he's got. There's this whole desire about give me what's mine. And, he's try, and Jesus is trying to address this going, life does not exist in the abundance of possession. Now, when we hear this word greed, if you look it up in the dictionary, it says it's a selfish and excessive desire for more of something than is needed. Does it say you don't need it? Does it say that we all don't have needs of some type? But it's saying that it's an, accepts, an excessive need, excessive desire for more than what you have. So in other words, if I, if I need 10 and I get 10, then I need more. 10's no longer enough. If, 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 I, if I get 15, then I get 15. 15's not enough. I, there's just this desire for more. For more. And I, I want it for me. Greed is all about me. Not you. It's about me. There was a story, a, a, a saying that used to go around, he who dies with the most toys wins. And that was on t-shirts there for a long period of time. But that's not true. Because he who dies with the most toys dies. <laughs> you're dead. I mean, it's like, how do you win? I mean, you understand? I, I'm just going to say this. If you're playing a card game, does anybody ever play cards? You die at the card table. You don't win. It doesn't matter what I mean. You think if you have the winning hand and you die, they're really going to play that hand out after you die at the table? Nope. You know what they're going to do? They're going to take that deck after they send you off. Somebody else is going to take your place. They're going to shuffle the deck. They're not going to put somebody in there to play your hand out. They're just going to shuffle your stuff back up in there and divide it back out. And isn't that what's going to happen when we all die? That what you think and what you're working on now and what you're doing is not going to be yours. It's going to be divided up and reshuffled back into the deck and put out to other people. And so Jesus is seeing this, and, he, and, he's, and, he, and he's addressing this. And so he goes on to say this. He told them a parable, a story. So this is not a true story, but he's taking a real-life situation. He's taking real-life feelings that we have as humans and desires that we have as humans and despite our efforts to be like God, despite our efforts, efforts to follow Jesus, see him as a teacher, and be in his presence, we still don't get some things. So he's like, he's going to tell them this story to help them to take the, the, the issue between the brothers and the desires of humanity and work them into a story called a parable. He says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself... Everybody do like, how do you think to yourself? This, hmm. So everybody do that real quick. Everybody just go, hmm. Now, it doesn't count if you don't put your hand up here, you know. This is thoughtful. Yeah, oh, see, when you got a beard, it's like that. Yeah, let me think about that. John Williams, I did. He went straight to that beard and went, hmm, let me think about that, you know. Preston, you'd have to go, hmm, let me think about that one right there. No, yeah, you got that one, didn't you? But, hmm, let me think about that. So he says, it yielded a certain crop, and he thought to himself, 
What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, after hmm, thinking about it, then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there in the bigger ones, I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Everybody say this with me. Eat, drink, and be merry. Say that again. Obviously, that's the goal of life, isn't it? To eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, what, what does he say? Now, there's not many times in the scriptures that God or Jesus says something is a fool, someone is a fool or foolish. But in this parable, he says, God, he says that God says this, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. So I want to break this down to you a little bit. If you look at verse 16, we see something important. Can you pull 16 up? Then he told them this parable, the ground of a certain what? Say that again. He's already rich. This is not a poor man. This is not a man that doesn't have anything. He has a lot. To the world, he, or to these people around him, he's considered rich. Now, I, when I grew up, there was a, a, a status symbol attached to an automobile. That when you had hit a certain level of your life and income, this is the automobile that said you have made it. Now, I want you to think back, if you're over the age of 30, to what, before imported cars came into our country, what was the status symbol that was signifying that you have made it in terms of wealth? What kind of automobile would it be? Cadillac. Cadillac. It wasn't a type of car. You understand what I'm saying? It's like, it didn't matter what Cadillac you had, Cadillac said to the world, I'm there. Now, you might have a, a loan that's like you can't even pay, but do you understand what I'm saying? There's certain things that this guy, to everyone, was rich. He had it. Which means rich means he probably had stuff they didn't have, right? Maybe he had a home. Maybe he had butlers. Maybe he had maids. Maybe he had multiple cars. Maybe he had multiple houses. Maybe he had multiple wives, which I don't know how he could be rich and have multiple wives, but do you understand what I'm saying? Maybe he had companies that other people ran and he just sit back and take it easy. But whatever it is, he's considered rich by those around him. And all of a sudden, this rich person has an abundance of a harvest. It's so big of a harvest, he can't even put it in the barns that he's already got because they're full. Now understand, a rich man probably has a lot of barns. And now this year, he's given this abundance. Now, maybe it's because he's got better irrigation than anybody, because he could afford it, maybe put better fertilizer, maybe. I don't know, but something happened. He has this abundance. And it says that what he does when he has this abundance is, hmm, he thinks about it. Now, I want you to understand that money in itself 
or abundance is not bad. If you are in a position and you get a raise, or you get more money, or you get a bonus, or you get a promotion, or you get more than what you have, that is not in itself bad if it's done legally. You understand what I'm saying? So if you get some, I don't want you to think, oh, well, I got a bonus or I got a raise, I'm going to be bad. Here's what I want you to think about. Money or abundance of anything, time, energy, gifts, whatever it is, money, resources, whatever it is, those things that you have in abundance can be helpful or hazardous. They can be one or the other. You see, John Piper once said, the movement of your money signifies the movement of your heart. Where your money moves to, where your time moves to, where your energy, where your resources move to determines the movement of your heart. Now, Jesus later on, in just a few more sentences past where we're talking about today, will say these words, for where your treasures are, that is where your heart will be also. In this parable, Jesus describes a rich man as a fool. Not because he's rich. That's not the problem. He wasn't described as being a fool for being rich. What he was decided to be a fool for was what he'd done with his abundance. What he did with his surplus. What he did with what was extra. And this causes him to be considered foolish. And everything it seems like this man was driving. Because remember when he, hmm, what shall I do? Right? So after this consideration, after he thinks about it, his driving force in his life is to have a time where I don't have to spend any more money. I can just take life easy. I can eat, drink, and by not working. By just sitting back and living off the grains that I have. Now, I want you to understand that putting grain into a silo is not bad. But you're not gaining any interest from it. You're not, you're not, you know what I'm saying? You're just, he's just like, I'm just going to keep this for me. I don't need it. How many of you who live in, in a home or rental place, how many of you have collected stuff over the years, but you're scared to get rid of it? You understand? How many of you have clothes in your closet that don't fit? But you ain't got rid of those clothes. Huh? I'm not saying y'all getting fat or anything. You could have gone the other way. You could have got skinny. But you still, you, there's this one group that's going, well, I might lose weight and get back into them. And there's this other group going, well, I might not lose weight and go back into them. You know, I'm like, I, I don't know. So my, my point is, there's, there's addicts full of stuff. There's garages full of stuff. I have moved most of you somewhere sometime in these 10 years of having a transitional congregation. I feel like it ought to be LifeSpring Moving Company sometime. I had some students move out a couple of weeks ago. Hey, Mr. Dorsey, we got some mattresses and some box springs and some bed frames, and, and it's like a Saturday, and we don't know what to do with them. Bring them to the house. I probably have five or six bed frames. Bed, if you need a mattress or box springs for a king or full-size bed, I have them available. They, they are donated. If you want it, come pick it up. Now, see, that's the thing, because you go, yeah, I want it, but Dorsey, bring it to me. 
Anyway, but my point is, we all have surplus. Let's take away from the, the stuff. How many of you have some extra time on your hands? Some of us during the summertime have this extra time and we end up doing it, using it for us. Sometimes, like college students, young people, they, they're like, oh, I don't know what to do. I got, you know, and it's like, what are you doing? There? Like, well, I'm not taking any classes. I'm only working 20 hours a week. And it's like, you do have some time. You do have some time. There's other love. We just want it to be spent on us. But that's not having the stuff is not the issue. It's what you do with it that determines whether you're foolish or whether you're being rich toward God. I want you to understand this. It says in this story that after he tears down his stuff, right, and starts building others, that God says, you fool, tonight your life's demanded of you, right? Well, let me ask you this. If in that time when he was doing like John Williams, thinking about what shall I do, if he would have just, what shall I do? If God knew that he was going to take his life, if God knew what was going to happen, do you think God would say the best thing that, for you to do is tear down your barns and build some new ones? You think that's what God would have told him to do? Especially if he knows what's coming. Maybe if he'd have took the time in his abundance and rather than let his greedy heart decide what to do with it and maybe ask God, what have you given me this for? And what do you want me to do? Now, if God says, put it in a bin, put it, listen, scriptures are full of times that God says, store it up. For seven years, there was plenty in Egypt. And God told um, Joseph through a dream, you need to store that stuff up for seven years because seven years of famine are coming. And that that they stored later began what saved them. But this guy didn't do that. What shall I do with my stuff? So here's where we're coming at today. What could he have done different to be rich toward God? What could you do different in this world today to be rich toward God and not consider the fool at the end of your life for what you've been given? What if you started thinking of yourself as a steward or a trustee of things that God has given you? See, we feel like we own it. We have the title to it. We have the ownership papers. But what if you're a trustee of that? What if you look at everything you have and begin to look at it as a trustee, as this is mine for a temporary time, for a moment in time, that I'm responsible for its growth, its development, or whatever, but it's to be used to further the kingdom of God? What if you did that for your time? What if rather than watching and, and binging on another season of another show that you took your time and done something with that other than binging on it. By the way, binging is another thing of self-indulgent, isn't it? And how many of you have known people to binge and watch a whole series or two of stuff with that time, but then the next few weeks they'll say, I didn't have time to do such and such. We've all done it. We've all been there. Or what if we what if it wasn't our time? What if it's our service? What if it was helping others? Oh, I'll go do this and help myself and I'll build this thing and I'll do this. This is what I love about these two guys that I talked about about automobiles because Thomas didn't charge me anything. These guys helped me. I'm not their son, though they treat me like my son, their son sometimes. 
I'm not kin to them, though they treat me like I'm kin. They help me with what they have. Do you understand the gift to have the knowledge of how to do something and not just use it for yourself and help other people? Some of you have energy and strength and, and not just the finances, but the time to go help people and to be involved with people, to help encourage them and help make a difference. Those are the things that make us rich toward God and not foolish with what we've been given. So what if we looked at ourselves as the time that I've been given? See, my mama, my dad passed away a couple years ago. My mama struggles with this. And she struggles with this in that her identity was so wrapped up with my father, she doesn't think she can function without him. And it's a struggle. It's a struggle to go to the grocery store. It's a struggle to do this. And those of you who've lost a loved one understand what I'm talking about. Whether it's a spouse, a parent, or a child, you understand how it can be dehabilitating. It could reduce you to not thinking that you can do anything or your worth is involved in that. But what I've continued to stress with my mom is that's not who your strength is. It's in what you do with God. And in a, in a, in a short visit down here a couple, uh, a couple years ago, she's been down here twice since my father died, she met Miss Gloria back there. And Miss Gloria has some limitations to what she can do because of a stroke. And Miss Gloria has lost her husband as well in the last several years. In a brief encounter, my mom who lives in North Carolina and Miss Gloria connected up. Just at a Bible study I was doing. And from that, they, somewhere or another, my mom got Gloria's phone number or vice versa, and they've been calling. And now, two years later, they're like best friends talking on the phone, encouraging each other, helping her, that I don't know what my mom's life would be without Miss Gloria in it, and I'm not sure that she would know what her life would be like with my, my mom in it. And during these conversations of sharing and talking, it's tough that they had time at their individual places, but now they use it for somebody else. To the point that when my mom came down earlier this year, you know, she came and stayed with me, but she had a play date with Miss Gloria. And so I drove her over there, you know, and they played together and they did real good the first day and I gave them another play date the next day and they didn't have any fights and they had three play dates together. And now my mom, who is really dependent a lot on my brother, she can drive, she's 80, but she can still drive and get around, but she doesn't like to. She likes to have other people take care of her, which is fine. But now my mom has invited Gloria up, and Miss Gloria's going up in a couple weeks on a train to North Carolina, which means my mama is going to pick her up at the train station. <laughs> and I just want, I, I, I'm calling my brother saying, just get a camera and videotape this transaction when it happens for my mama to figure out where the train station is, how to pick up somebody, because this is going to be great. But they're going to hang out together. See, that's two people using their time. No money. You understand what I'm saying? Just using their life for something that's more than about their self. Now, they are getting something out of it. Do you understand? But the driving factor is not about what they're getting as much as helping somebody else. And what if you did that with your time? What if you did that with people where you started using the treasures you have? Maybe, you know, I've, I've worked with so many people, and especially as they get older, why did they take him and didn't take me? Why did God take my child and didn't take me? Why did God take my parent and didn't take me? Why did God take my spouse and didn't take me? It would have been better if I'd have been gone, but maybe God knows 
what potential is in each of us. And maybe he knows that when we have not just the life that we need, not just what was considered to be a lot of people a rich life, but what if we started sharing the abundance that we had? What if we started making it about others that maybe aren't in our family, but maybe have needs? Not just financial needs, but help. And not look for some type of transition, uh, transition of, of money, just how can we make a difference? And we started sharing our treasures. So what I want you to do this week as I close out is I want you to just think about it just a moment. I want you to close your eyes just a moment. And I want you to think about one thing that you feel like God has blessed you with that you have an abundance of. And when I say abundance, I mean you have more, more than what you need right this moment. It may be a dollar. It may be five dollars. It may be time. It may be some, some time has opened up in your life. Or maybe you might have some time that you could reappropriate it. That maybe you're spending more of that time or resources or energy of building your kingdom rather than building the kingdom of God. What would happen if you was to share that with somebody? What would happen in your world if you were to begin to share and to be generous with your time, your talents or skills, your gifts, your resources, or even your witness of what you've seen in life to be able to share and encourage with others? What would happen if you were to share that? And what would happen if in this moment, rather than you just be thinking about those things and rubbing your beard or rubbing your chin and going, hmm, what do I do with this? What if you took this moment right now to ask God, God, what do you want me to do with this? Maybe you need to ask God to help you to see what you've been given an abundant amount of, that you really never thought it was abundant. Maybe you need to ask God to show me where I've been deceived by the hazardness of having things rather than seeing the opportunities to help others. So think about that just a moment as we sit in silence.